Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 231. This week we have lessons from a Sunday school teacher, and we're going to be hearing from Austin Rumba about what God's been doing in what's often called Sin City. I almost felt like I rediscovered the Bible fresh and anew. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by, and welcome to the show. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear messages, make connections, and take action. This show is made possible in part by listeners like you. Visit engagingmissions.com slash patron to learn more about that, but it's also not all about the money. If you'd like to volunteer, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. This week, we're going to be talking about loving whole people and living the kingdom of God on earth. I'm also going to have for you, as I mentioned, some lessons from a Sunday school teacher that I think might be applied to your lives as well. And here's a little bit of a spoiler. This is my grandmother who recently passed away. We also have a little bit of engaging missions news. Gabby, who helps out with the show notes, recently graduated from college, summa cum laude. I, I think I have that right. And she also won a couple of academic awards. This is kind of a big deal. And I'm proud to know her and I'm proud to be involved and to have her be part of this show. So Gabby, congratulations. She'll be heading off to grad school soon, but I'm hoping that she's able to stay involved with the show as well after that time. Also, quite a number of people recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. So welcome to Chris, Ron, Henry, Jared, Ruben, Janice, and Cole. It's great to have you. And if you would like to connect with Engaging Missions on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash engaging missions. It'd be great to have you connected with us there. Now on to our time with Austin. All right, today I am incredibly happy to have with me Austin Rumbaugh. He was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, but now he and his family are living in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's the founder of the Origins Life Movement and the Origins Life Podcast, and he's doing some pretty interesting things with his podcast. I'm hoping we'll get into that in a little while, but Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brian. Oh, this is totally my pleasure. Now, as we get started, you know, I thought we might just kind of kick this off and get right down to it. If we were only able to take two or three things away from this conversation, what would you hope we would get from this? What I've been learning over the past year, a little over a year, is I need to be present. Being present for me is, it's hard to do because there's always so many concerns and there's always needs and, and so forth. And we know that's just part of life, but being present is really the, the basis for seeing what God is doing in front of me here and now. So not being preoccupied with, okay, what about a year from now? Or what if this doesn't come into place? Just being present. What is God asking me to do right now at this very moment? Mm. And then second of all is being creative. I think where we 
find ourselves in this time frame in history, living in America, really, I think creativity led by God. And really, I think also kind of tapping into some of that inner creativity is just so vitally needed right now. We, we're seeing a lot of changing times. And I know for a lot of people, it's, it's hard to see that change as opportunity, but really as we're, we're called to be ambassadors and missionaries and we have to always be adapting. And mm. so we have to find creative ways to really engage people. And that's what we're trying to do. And the third thing is really just love people. And that sounds so cliche. And I know we've heard it, yeah. you know, the, the famous verse, you know, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, scribes, whatnot, you know, what's the great commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's interesting. He didn't the, the, the scribe didn't ask for two. He really just asked for one. <laughs> uh, now, someone may say, well, that was a kind of a, it was a one part qu- answer, but I would venture to say if, if God, if Jesus would have said, love God, the scribe could have walked away and said, yeah, I can do that. But now when you pair it with something, okay, now love your neighbor as yourself, that makes it a little bit more concrete. So be present, be creative and learn to love others well. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that when the scribe asked him that question, he responded with an answer that actually led to another question. That's, that's something that didn't really stand out to me until you, until you brought that up. Have you been spending some time in that scripture, kind of mining through that? I try to keep familiar with it. I read through, I, I like the one-year plan. I mm. like to read the scriptures each year. Just that, that a full dose, you know, from, from cover to cover, that really helps me just keep my mind in it. But I haven't looked over that passage late. That just, that statement by Christ has really formed the basis of what I am called to do where I find myself is to love God and love others. Mm -hmm. And in a city like mine, loving other people doesn't mean, you know, loving people that are well put together and have their lives all settled and in order. It's typically learning to love people that have disorder and chaos and Mm. are living lives that are very different than, than what you or I or someone else may be, may be led to lead. Wow. You know, I didn't expect to go here this, this early, but you, you really keyed in on it. You were talking about loving people that might, well, look or act a little bit differently than we we would hope, you know, maybe even different than what's healthy for them. What does loving them look like? It's it's a little complicated because <laughs> the word I'll use is acceptance. Okay. And I know that's a loaded word because when we think of acceptance, we think that we're endorsing. Acceptance and endorsement are two separate things. Mm. I think you even see that with the ministry of Christ. The The, the, the other statement that's really kind of just really framed what we're doing is found in Matthew and in Luke where Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And it's in Matthew 11 is the the one passage. I think it's also over in Luke, but he says to the Pharisees, he says, look, John came. He was very somber. He was very obtuse. He says, the son of man is come eating and drinking with sinners. And you're accusing him of being a, a drunkard and a glutton. And mm. you, you say he has a demon and then John, you wrote him off because he was too obscure. So if you look at what God is doing, it's I think it's just becoming very personal with people. But then also our estimation of who's in and who's out. Yeah. Uh, the, religious, the religious crowd thought they were in. And after they talked with Jesus, they found that they were out. 
And the people who thought they were out with God are now on the inside because if, when I look at the scriptures, it looks like Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with people who didn't have this quote unquote faith that was typical of that day. Mm. So, you know, Jesus had a way of interacting and accepting them because if it says he was a friend of sinners, it didn't say he was friendly towards them. He says he was a friend of them. So in my mind, people who didn't have frameworks of faith wanted to be around Jesus because there was something radically different about him. So it's that balance of acceptance and approval, which we're always trying to keep in check. Yeah, man. I, I, so you're talking about this, and it's actually something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last week or so is, you know, it, it's hard for me sometimes to accept things that are different or things that I might consider inappropriate. And I was, I was thinking about Jesus in particular, as I thought about Mary Magdalene and some of the other people that he hung out with, and he didn't hang out with them as, you know, trying to get a, a notch on his gun belt or something like that. He actually just loved people. Obviously, he loved them enough to share the gospel, but man, you're, you're just, <laughs> you're totally nailing where God's had me for the last couple of weeks. You know, as we were getting into this, though, I, I realized we haven't really spent any time talking about Origins Life. Can you share a little bit about what the Origins Life movement is? Sure. The, the good place to start with this is kind of going to the point where we were being called to to do this. So I don't yeah, want to give you okay. too much background, but I had been in church work for 15 years. So not I was not raised in a Christian family, uh, the complete opposite. I was really just a <laughs> a wild child, if you would, didn't have any direction, guidance, joined the Marine Corps just because I didn't want to be a basement dweller in the Midwest, you know, living in my parents' basement until I was 40. <laughs> so it was like, okay, let's just go somewhere and just, just get a fresh start. So joined the Marine Corps and it was there through that time that God got a, got a hold of my heart. I felt uh, a call to ministry. And then shortly after that, I found myself in Bible college. So went to Bible college, learning all these things that I never learned as a kid and really just getting the crash course. I went to a, a very Bible-centric Bible college where it was heavy into scriptures. It was, it was non-accredited because they wanted to preserve their curriculum for the maximum amount of time in the Word. So hmm. all that being said is I got, you know, both barrels, crash course, got up to speed, served in churches for about, you know, about 15 years. And two years ago, I was approached by the other pastor that I was working with at the church I was serving at here in Las Vegas. He approached me out of the blue and said he felt like God was leading him, leading that ministry to plant a new work. Hmm. And he looked at me and said, do you want to be involved in that? And I had no goals, no ideas or plans of doing anything. So that, that's important because what, what I'm about to say as to how we're structured now is not based off of angst. It's not based off of some desire to fix all the wrongs that are, that are in present Christianity. That's not my goal at all. Mm -hmm. So I, was, I would have served in that church until the day I died. That was my heart. But when he approached me, I just, I, I heard that invitation and I pretty much dismissed it because I was concerned about the church I was at currently or mm -hmm. at that time. I was concerned about their well-being, their health. And I, I just didn't understand how that was good for, you know, the well-being of that ministry. But as he kept on praying, I kept on praying. I just couldn't get away from it. Finally, we went to a conference 
And I just felt like, okay, God, you're calling me. It was just a moment where there was no doubt in my mind, my salvation, my calling, my call to marry my wife. And then, and then now this call here to start this new work, th- those are four things in my life that there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that those things happen. So I said, yes, or basically me saying yes to God at that point was just saying, okay, I don't have to have this thing figured out. All I have to do is be willing. Mm. That, that's just step one. So, and that's really what God was after. He wasn't saying, hey, Austin, do you have a really good idea that I could endorse? He was just saying, <laughs> are you willing? <laughs> yeah, which is the way we usually operate. And, and he was just saying, look, if, if, you're, if you trust me, I'm asking you to do something and I'm asking you to follow me with radical faith. So I said, yes. And from that moment, things just started developing. I was told by the, the church that was sending us that we would be given two years of support, both our personal and our ministerial expenses for two years, mm. and that they wouldn't oversee or try to govern or manipulate the way we did things. It was basically what is God asking you to do? And we want to get behind that. Mm. So, you know, not having planned or prepared for it, that question is really, that, that scared me because again, it's like, I don't know, but now I'm, I'm knowing God is calling me. I'm, I've said, yes, I'm driving. So fast forward a little bit after I've said yes to God, I know we're going to do this. I'm trying to figure out the planning, the, how we're going to go about this. I'm driving down the road. I look to my left and there's this building that says origin climbing wall. <laughs> and, and I, 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 Brian, I, I'm not like this, you know, super spiritual guy that says, you know, God talks to me through images on my pizza. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not that guy, but as I'm driving down this road at this moment, I'm just saying, God, I don't even know what we're going to do. Like, okay, I have support. We have this call to go. I've mm-hmm. said, yes, what am I going to do? I look to the left and I see this word origin climbing wall. And it was that one word that captivated my heart because, and again, kind of given a lot of background in just a short amount of time, I was at the point in my life where I was really just looking at Christianity and just saying, you know, where is it now as compared to well, where it was initially. Hmm. So like, what have we as people in 2018 come to expect from a church service or, or church, whatever you want to, however big you want to make that word, or no matter how small you want to make it, what do we expect from that experience? Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that the, the heart cry of people is still a longing for God, that, that they are desperate for God. And I, I saw more than ever f- for in my context, in my city, is that what people were really wanting was just a scaled down version of what we have become accustomed to in Christendom. Okay. And, and again, that's not to say that, you know, what we see in Christendom is is wrong. I'm just saying in, in our context with with the people that I, I engage with, whether it's at the gym or stores these people are coming from zero back, zero church background, no religious context, or if it's a religious context, it's typically soiled and spoiled. So that word origin, just it set the table for everything we were going to be doing from that point forward is we're going to take the base message of the gospel and we're going to reinsert it into its original formation. And we're going to try to reestablish some of those early roots of the Jesus movement 
here mm-hmm. in 2018 in Las Vegas in a way that is God honoring, context oriented, people centered, community centered, but then just going right back to the mission of Jesus as being friends of sinners, being missional. And then we could spend a lot of time talking about what we're doing in our meetings. We can go there, but that was a long answer to tell you how we've gotten to the word origins. That's really neat. And, you know, as I was thinking about that word origin, one of the things that I think kind of stood out to me was your, your comment about people are, they're really searching for God. They're not searching for something else, but there is that deep heart's cry. How are you identifying people that have begun to realize that there is that cry in their heart? Oh, being in my city, it's, it's so apparent. The, probably the biggest mission field that I have in my, in my influence is the gym. The, I, I go to a gym here in town called Las Vegas Athletic Club. Hmm. They have nine, eight or nine clubs, and there's a membership of over 90,000 people. And it is just a, it's a, an amazing Petri dish, if you would, of, of people. Because mm-hmm. you have nightclub workers, you have that includes strippers, bartenders, you know, dancers, people that work, you know, vending, you know, it, uh, support staff. It it's just so the system that is built here in Vegas is obviously it's excess, it's vanity, it's flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, when tourists come here, you know, they they'll come, they'll have a good time, they'll take advantage of the amenities, and then they go home. But then that staffing that the people that are required to keep this system going still have regular lives. Mm -hmm. And I see them, you know, at this place called the gym when they're recharging or the, you know, a lot of the girls are keeping their bodies in, you know, in shape so they can continue to make six figures. So this, this area is where all of these people come together in this small space. And for me, you can see it all over their face. For for instance, I can take a look at, at a, at a lady in the gym and I can tell whether she's starting out in the industry. And when I say industry, I'm talking about, you know, stripping or using her body for money. Or I can tell when they're at that middle point where they're, they're starting to get wore out with the process. They have the money. They're starting to become very depleted. And then I can look at someone that says, look, I'm empty. I'm broken. I'm spent. I hate this. Mm. The first category, I'm just speaking of women, but you could also include that with guys. I think guys manifest their brokenness differently. Guys manifest brokenness with aggression, hostility. Women obviously are a little bit different, but you can tell for most part, I think the the three stages of getting into it, I'm tired of it and I hate this. The people that are just starting out in it are not candidates because they still think they're going to find happiness through that. Mm. It's those people, it's those second two that the people that are in the middle that are starting to take a look around and say, if I keep this up, I'm going to find myself single in my fifties and quote unquote use goods. Mm and I'll have nothing to show for this. And then those other people that they've already lost it all, or you know, they've come to that realization that this is all just, it's fake. So it's those last two that I really see the burden to focus on. And I, we found that primarily just introducing ourselves as people, inviting them into our homes, having meals with them, and just showing our humanity to them is step one. Mm. And then from there, there's typically a sticking where it doesn't take much to convince them to come back once they've come one time to see what we're doing primarily in our home. If you were me, you probably would have approached this with a few preconceived ideas for good or for ill. And I'm wondering, what is it that's most surprised you as you've begun to get to know people more deeply? What surprised me is that we're a lot more 
similar than we like to think. Mm. That's, that's even the basis of kind of the Origins Life podcast is when you start to hear people's stories and we have a very, again, a very diverse population in Las Vegas, Henderson, Nevada. Yeah, you would look at the exterior and you would think we have nothing in common. But when you actually start talking to these people, you start to realize where they're at in life may be drastically different from another person. But those those longings, those those hurts or those disappointments, those are those are really all shared. There's very little that is different in those circumstances. So I would just say that we have a lot more in common than we would like to think. That's good. And I remember hearing on your show, I think there was a lady that was in New York at the time of the 2000, 2001, September 11th, with all the crashes and all that kind of stuff. I remember her sharing some of her experiences. And I'm wondering, you know, when people share those kinds of things on your show, obviously there's there's at best a scar and at worst probably still a wound. And I'm wondering, are you able to also then, outside of the show, sort of able to to minister to them and share God's love with them? Absolutely. You know, the at first glance, when you look at the show or you think of the concept, okay, I'm going to bring people on. They're, we're going to sit down in front of microphones. We're going to have a recorded conversation about them and their life experiences. Someone might say, well, th- what does that have to do with the gospel? Well, if I know where they're at in life, it has everything to do with the gospel because mm-hmm. now they're telling me exactly where they're at as a person. And now, I mean, if you look at Jesus's interaction with people, it was never the same. You know, to the rich young ruler, he addressed his greed problem. You know, to the woman, you know, caught in adultery, it was the sin problem. It was you're looking for happiness in wrong places. Stop looking over there. Hmm. So if a person is revealing themselves and sharing their, their exposing their soul, that is a, a complete open door to know how to minister to them in a more precise manner. I, I like that. That's, that's a really insightful answer. You know, one thing that's, as we were preparing for this, one thing that just kind of kept sitting in the back of my mind that really bugs me is we, we have a tendency to call Las Vegas Sin City. And I think it's probably earned that reputation on its own, but there, there's power in a name. And I'm wondering, when you think of Las Vegas or that general area, how do you think of the city and the people in it? Well, I'll just back up real quick. It wouldn't be Sin City were it not for all the Midwesterners that came out here to party. <laughs> Well put. So, so it's kind of, it's an interesting dynamic. Just when you, this city, there's the, the strip is, it's in its own location. It's there. You can go to it. Most of the locals here, they don't go down there. I mean, mm. it's really, it's a, the tour, that's, a, that's the place for tourists. The rest of the locals, whether you, if you work down there, obviously you have to go to the strip. But for the rest of us, you know, we go, we have regular jobs. And so really what drives Sin City is other people. I mean, if, if you actually boil it down, but I, I don't even, I look at this city and I see an amazing potential because there's no religious pretense. There is no concept of, well, I'm okay or I'm right with God because I do this. These There's people from all over the world and they're vulnerable because they're in a different location mm. that has no established culture. We have a very transient city. Every three to five years, people come and people go. So that, you know, the culture changes as quickly as your neighbor moves. So when you come to the city, no matter what you're bringing here, 
it's just a fresh start. So there's like, like if you go to the South, there's a, there's a culture. If you go to the North, there's a culture out East or, or wherever. When you come to Las Vegas and actually live here, it is a blank slate. There is not one predominant culture. For the most part, the city is not segregated as far as a lot of times you'll still see mm. part portions of towns that are more African-American, more Hispanic. It is, is eclectic and as mixed as you can possibly imagine. So uh, people could say, yeah, Sin City. Okay, I got it. But again, kind of taking my first statement, it wouldn't be Sin City were it not for the tourist. But then also that now that the people are here and living, I just see it as a wide open space where people are often coming to, to get away from something. Hmm. So it's typically there people that go to New York to try to find their spot in, in, in Broadway <laughs> yeah. or make it big, right? It, the same thing is here. It's like, okay, I'm going to move out to Vegas. And I'm going to try to make money or whatever it is. So I just see it as a, a wide open space. the structure of, of origins, there's, there's, again, when we start looking at our concepts or our, what we expect to find in Christendom, it's interesting when you actually start going back to the early movement of the Jesus followers, it wasn't until the nearly 300 years or almost 400 years later that congregations, fellowships were starting to meet in established buildings. And then additionally, for the first 400 years, the scriptures really weren't even in full circulation. Mm. So, so for the first 400 years, what was going on in, with the Jesus movement? What was taking place? And, and when you start to think about that, okay, if I don't have these church buildings, if I don't have the scriptures, what was happening that was, that was so powerful that was turning the world upside down, but they didn't have any of the structures or the systems or even the scriptures that we see today as being absolutely vital. So uh, here's, and, and I'm, I'm glad you kind of opened it up because I, I wanted to, to eventually take the conversation here. When you start thinking of the message of the kingdom, and this is something that has totally, completely changed my perspective of what I'm supposed to be doing as an ambassador. So when you think of the message in the, in the New Testament from Jesus being based on the kingdom, you could look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example. What does the kingdom look like? And, and I don't want to take too much time talking about eschatology and dispensationalism and all that stuff that divides people, but, <laughs> it, and, it's, and it's crazy that that stuff divides us. I mean, honestly, if, if whatever system you think you have, Jesus just disrupts it. Okay. Yeah. But so if you take the message of the kingdom in the new Testament, you also have to take the message of the kingdom in the old Testament. And then you have to understand why is it that Jews rejected Jesus? It's because the, in the, the, the Jews expected a conqueror, a King to come in and chop heads off and, you know, establish this rule of David with the iron fist. And then Jesus comes and he comes lowly and meek and, and, and really in a way says, you guys are going all about it, going about it all the wrong ways. Mm. You're, you're, you're trying to set up the kingdom. For instance, when the disciples basically, there was a question, I'm, I'm summarizing it where I think one of the disciples asked Jesus, should we call down fire like Elijah? Yeah. 
You know, should we just consume them? Just burn them up? And, and Jesus says, you know not what spirit you are. And kind of a vague answer, but if you now look at what Jesus was doing and ultimately submitting to the violence of this world, and now again, taking the idea in the Old Testament of the kingdom, idea of the kingdom in the New Testament, and then Jesus is in the middle, it really calls us into question as to how we're going about establishing God's kingdom. Hmm. So, so again, if, if you think the kingdom is a literal thousand years, or you think the kingdom is a metaphorical period of time, I, I won't show all my hands, my cards here, because I, again, I don't want to go into that big, long conversation, but I fundamentally believe the primary message of the entire Bible is God's desire to reestablish his kingdom rule here on this earth. And I think that's backed up by the fact that Revelation 21 and 22 says new Jerusalem is coming down. Mm-hmm. It's, so our permanent home, according to Revelation 21, is here on this earth. That, that's what Revelation 21, that's how I interpret it. So most of what I've been taught previously was we're going to die and go to heaven. It's almost like the old, that silly saying of why polish the brass on the Titanic when the ship is going down. Right. So we've had this escapism mentality where I'm just here for a short period of time. You know, eventually I'm just going to die. I'm going to go to heaven and everything will be better. But if I look at the message, let's just focus on the New Testament, Jesus speaking of the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, the, the kingdom is what it looks like when God's rule is enacted here on this earth. So, so my job is to, to be the answer to Jesus's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, like it, that. It, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, our father who art in heaven, how will be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's the first thing he says mm-hmm. after addressing, okay, we're, we're talking to God now. The first thing I want you to pray for is the kingdom. So, so what does that mean? You mean wait to die and then for that kingdom to come down? Or I'm supposed to now be the change, the Matthew 4, 5, 6, I'm sorry, 5, 6, 7 Sermon on the Mount, that kingdom principle is supposed to be now lived out in community, in connection with, with other people who have yet to experience that kingdom here on, on this earth. So, so our goal from, or our main objective here at Origins is to bring people into a space where they can begin to see those kingdom principles being lived out and, and experienced in a real way, which now gives us the opportunity to begin to tell people that there's really, a, there's a better way to go about living. It, and it just, it, it exposes all of our idolatrous false pursuits and the the inability of those things to bring us that to that happiness or that place of fulfillment that every single time we go out on this journey by ourselves we just find greater emptiness so the message of the kingdom becomes water to these people mm. because now you're saying there's a better way to do this and it's so crazy it just might work i i like it I, i'm wondering you shared a little bit about how the message of the kingdom is like water to them. How, how was it, what was it like for you when you heard the message of the kingdom and God began to reveal that to you? I almost felt like I rediscovered the Bible fresh and anew. Hmm. Like it, it was this, I, I was very good at pulling out verses and I was very good at 
kind of jumping into a passage and maybe identifying what was taking place there. But my face was so buried closely to the, to the, the fine little words mm. that I missed, missed the big picture. Like I missed this overarching message from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, where it's like God's doing something bigger than just parsing Greek and Hebrew words. Mm-hmm. That, that he's, God is, is reestablishing his, his rule and reign here on this earth, and he's doing it through broken vessels like you and me and others. So I, I just felt like, wow, I can see the Bible in a whole new light now. I don't have to look at my my life as just buying time and trying to get people on the lifeboat before the whole thing goes down. Now I see this opportunity to 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 create and to to share this this hope with others and and to invite others into that same process, that same space of creation and hope and love and watching that grow because really the early Jesus followers had a very simple message. God loves you. So do I. And let's prove that. I will show you. Wow. So I I would imagine that most of our listeners are probably familiar with salvation and its relation to gospel. But for some people, this might be the first time we've heard something about the gospel of the kingdom. If somebody wanted to, to dig into this and understand it more, where would you point them? Number one, without any hesitation, I would point them to the Bible Project. Okay. The Bible Project is a phenomenal resource. They have a podcast. They have YouTube videos. If you just go to Google, type in the Bible Project, they have a lot of theme videos that talk about this subject of the kingdom. And again, they have a podcast. Uh, just it, it, They also have an app on your phone that you can download that allow you to read through the scriptures, and it allows the theme videos to be a part of that reading. So like every three or four days, you'll watch a theme video, which keeps you kind of location-centered in that passage, but then also it pans out so you can get that big picture. So it allows you to read through the word in a year, but then it also, through the videos that are embedded into the reading plan, gives you that panoramic big picture view. I like it. I've, I've heard about the Bible Project before, but I kind of forgot about it. So that's, that's great. Now, I, I'm thinking about your experience. You know, you, you went into Las Vegas and I, or the, that area, and I think that you kind of had a plan, but God sort of revealed some stuff to you as well. What would you share with somebody if they're looking at their community and they're looking for a way that God would have them minister, if they're, if they're searching for how God would have them move, how would you share with them that they could begin to, to seek him and to move forward? Breaking bread. There is, there's something very spiritual, very human about sharing meals with people. Mm. In the New Testament, when it said that Jesus ate with people, that was the most intimate of settings during that time. To invite someone into your home was, was a, the, the, the most resounding message of approval and, and acceptance that you could possibly get during that day. Mm. So, and you think about, especially in our city, but I, I know we're not the only ones, people are really busy People, you know, they eat food as they're driving down the highway at 65 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. We, we to, to be able to sit down and to be able to enjoy a meal with other people and to enjoy good conversation, that is more transformative than you could ever imagine. It, it, but, if, but it requires us to get to know people. It, it requires us to, to make time for people, to love them. But 
having a meal, inviting people into your personal space, serving them, listening to them can go so much further than you could ever possibly imagine. Ah, that, that's good. And it's so simple. As you think about what you're doing, what is it that you're believing God for? I, I guess the way I would answer that is what would, what would origins look like big picture mm-hmm. down the road? My goal is never to own a physical space. I, I believe that we could take what we're doing in our homes and we could multiply that 10, 20 fold with, with the format that we have. As, as people come into our, into our home, we're primarily using the Bible project to expose them to the themes of the Bible, but then also allowing them to do some reading on their own. Mm. We come back, we dialogue, we discuss, we chew on it. If they come away with a different conclusion, I know this may rub someone the wrong way, but I'm not here to, to, to make everyone believe just like me. There's 30,000 Christian denominations mm. and everyone says they're right. Okay. So if you're, if we're going to take people that have no understanding of God, bring them into a small space and just allow them to begin to see the scriptures, wrestle with them, understand the bigger, you know, theme concepts of what's going on in human history as seen also in the scriptures. That's going to be a space that is very, uh, not eclectic, but it's going to be a diverse space. It's not going to be ritualistic. It's not going to be one person speaking to, you know, 20 others while they sit for 45 minutes. It's going to be very interactive. So it allows, there's enough structure through the Bible project and through videos that someone could take what I'm doing after having kind of been under our care for a year or whatever, and they could very easily begin to reduplicate that okay, now you're going to go love your neighbor. Okay. You're going to invite those two or three neighbors into your home. You're going to, for the first two or three weeks, you're going to have meals with them and you're just going to love them, care for them, get to know them. And in the course of after two, three weeks, however long this takes, now we're going to start exposing them to, well, you know, spiritual conversations Mm. from those at that point, when they understand there's trust, there's vulnerability, there's openness that you're not selling, you know, used vacuums that you actually (laughs) mean what you say, people are going to want to stick. So my goal is what we're doing in our home could be easily reproduced in someone else's home. And maybe not just a home, it could be at a restaurant. What we're doing could be anywhere. You have a laptop, set up a laptop, watch a video, eat a meal, have some conversation based on what you see, based on what you read. That is so simple, but it's reproducible on a big, big scale. If it ever got to the point where there's 20 plus groups, once a month, maybe twice a month, we would go to a rented facility and we would have kind of a unifying celebration. We would have music, we'd have testimony, we would have a meal, of course. And then from that gathering, all of the work, the main work goes back to the homes where the life on life takes place. So we don't really need a public space, all but maybe a couple times a month if it grows to that point. The other aspect of Origins Life is in this starting in April, I'm going to start health coaching. Mm. So our goal is we want to be able to care for the three parts of the person. We want to be able to provide community, a place where they're involved, they're connected to people. We want to offer the opportunity for people to explore faith and spirituality. So community, faith and spirituality. And then the third leg of that stool is wellness. So our goal is to to be able to help the entire person. Mm. 
So we don't want to just, it's, if someone is battling with depression and they have a terrible diet and their guts, you know, totally out of whack and they're, you know, drinking sodas and, and they have depression. Well, we could pray about that depression, but we could also do some things to clean up the diet and lifestyle to help further that person and, and their entire well-being. So we want to be reproducible, but we also want to expand what we're doing to include the physical wellness of people. I, I believe we already have the faith and spirituality as well as community, but we need to really add that third part, which is wellness. And that's where starting in April, I'm going to be doing a year-long course in health coaching so that, uh, that we could, again, try to help the entire person. Oh, that that's great. I I love that you do care for the whole person, that you're not, I mean, I hate to use this metaphor, but I think that sometimes people expect that a missionary or a church planter is just looking for notches in their gun belt. And I, yes. I love that you have, I, I mean, I can see it in your face. I'm watching you on Skype and I can see how much you love people. And I just absolutely appreciate that. As we start to draw this to a close though, I'm wondering you know, you've, you've been very generous. You've shared quite a bit with us. How can we best pray for you? Just continued direction. There's, this is all brand new. We're also at the point now where starting in January, the two-year support expires. So starting in January, we are, we're on our own. So really the, the health coaching, as I see it, could be a huge fundraising mechanism for what we're doing. And that's crucial for what we're doing because I can't invite someone who knows nothing about God or spirituality, faith or church, invite them into our home and then pass around offering plates. Mm-hmm. That's, it's just, it, it can't work. Yeah. So the, the health coaching is huge for us because that gives us the ability to fundraise for what we're ultimately trying to do is to care for the entire person, primarily the this, this, this spiritual, the uh, immaterial as well as the material. So pray for the health coaching venture that that would actually take root and then just continue direction for the decisions that we have to make. It just seems like, you know, it's always changing, always in flux, but we have a general idea where we're going, but we just need need some time and we need money and we just need God to continue to reveal himself. Wow. When, when you're listening, I'd just like to encourage you to, to go ahead and pray for Austin right now. Pray for him and his family. Pause the recording and take a minute to pray for him because it, it can be easy to forget that our prayers matter, that God is storing up our prayers like incense and they're, you know, they're flowing before the throne. So take a minute to do that, to be a part of their ministry, at least in that. If you've connected with what Austin has shared, take a minute to stop by the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Austin Rumba. We'll have ways for you to connect with him as well as a way for you to find his podcast. I think you might really appreciate what, what he's doing there. And I'd encourage you to check that out. Austin, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Brian. So now we're going to talk about lessons from a Sunday school teacher. As I mentioned in the intro, this is a story about my grandmother. Her name was Hulda Ensminger. And I'm hoping that this story is really beneficial to you and not about making me feel better about something. So I'm going to try and make sure that this aligns to you and to to serving you. But I think it's really timely because... My, my grandmother, she served, she, she raised a family of five children, and she served in the local church for 60, 70 years, uh, quite a long time. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of stands out to me is that there was nothing that she ever did that was really about seeking position or trying to accomplish something or trying to 
put notches on her gun belt or anything like that. She just taught Sunday school and she taught girls in, in children's ministry for 60 plus years at one church and some time in a church before that. And there's some some backstory that I'd love to share perhaps at another time. I, I don't know that we're going to be able to get to that today. But one of the things that strikes me is I think about her life and as I heard about people sharing about her life as as we were at the funeral was how she walked in faithfulness and generosity, how she cared for the, the girls, how she prayed for them, how she kept up with them. And it, it just got me thinking about the legacy that she leaves behind. You know, for, for a lot of us, you know, for, for some of us, there's going to be a legacy that's very visible and very apparent. But for some of us, there's going to be a a legacy that outstrips what we think it would ever possibly be. I mean, you think about it, she would have a class of a few girls at a time, maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 30. It kind of varied from year to year, of course. But that class, you know, it might not seem like a big deal. She's ministering to girls. She's sharing God's love with them. But she's not out on the streets, pounding the streets, making disciples in that way. She was serving in the way that God called her. But as a result of those 60 plus years of faithfulness, I know that thousands upon thousands of children were impacted. Thousands upon thousands of families were impacted because of her faithfulness. And the thing about this that blows my mind, and I want to make sure that I paint this picture for you effectively. My grandmother grew up on a farm in rural North Dakota. North Dakota, for those that don't know, is probably the second lowest population state in all of the United States. And she was in a rural area. She later moved with her husband to a more populated area, but still basically a place that, that makes the map for the state, but you know, not, not that big a deal in terms of the overall country. But because of her service over those years, thousands upon thousands of children have been impacted and their families have been impacted. And and I know that there is no way that we will fully comprehend what God did through her faithfulness over those decades, at least not on this side of eternity. And that encourages me because I'm thinking, you know, if, if one lady teaching Sunday school in North Dakota could impact that many lives, then who are we to despise what appears like the day of small beginnings? Who are we to despise what appear like a lack of results? Who are we to question the calling that God's placed in our lives? If, if we think that we might be called to greatness, but at the same time, it seems like we're serving in a lowly place, that doesn't mean that we're, we have the right perspective on that because God can do great things through people who are obedient. And my encouragement to you would be to, to take a look at your life and Continue to walk in faith and obedience and believe God for the harvest because the harvest is his. It's just our job to walk faithfully. I I hope that that encourages you and that that brings something to your life that allows you to continue moving forward in what God has called you to do because I believe that God can do great things through your life as well. And I'm believing for those things in your life. So be encouraged. God does great things. And there are things that we can learn even from Sunday school teachers. Thanks again so much to Austin Rumbaugh for taking the time to be with us and also to you for joining us. I really appreciate that you were here. It means a lot to know that you're here. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Austin Rumbaugh. That's engagingmissions.com slash A-U-S-T-I-N-R-U-M-B-A-U-G-H. Austin Rumbaugh. You'll definitely want to check those out. It's a great way to connect with our guest and to take action on the things that you've heard. 
make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about church planting, women in ministry, reaching people in restricted access countries, and more. It's going to be really good. And I'm also hoping to have for you some lessons from a chess tournament. I think you're going to really enjoy that. If you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, the best way to do it is to subscribe using your favorite podcast app at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this or you know somebody who'd benefit, please take a second and help us spread the word. Just shoot them a note, send them to engagingmissions.com slash subscribe and let them know that they can subscribe using their favorite podcast app as well. Your recommendation could be what helps somebody connect with the resources that they need to be equipped, challenged, and inspired. Again, I really appreciate you being here. Looking forward to connecting with you in a couple of weeks. 